as we get started this morning, um, some of the things that we have been diving into over the past few weeks is we've, we've looked at Christ and we've looked at Him on the cross and His forgiveness. The fact that there was this compassion that was exuded out towards those that were around Him and persecuting Him. Last week, Kellen shared the salvation that Jesus offered to the criminal on his side, that the two had been previously mocking him, and, and he looks at them, and after mocking, the one prisoner or the one criminal realizes his true condition, that he is in need of grace, and this truly is the Messiah And he says, remember me today in your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly today you will be with me in paradise. Well, as we journey through these seven sayings, this morning we're dealing with Jesus' interaction with his mother and with the apostle John. Next week, John will be looking at The statement that Jesus makes of, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so what we see is a progression. We see a progression from those who have been persecuting Jesus to now moving into a place where he's dealing with those that are close to Jesus. And next week, we'll begin to deal with those questions that Christ puts before the Father. Well, I wonder for how many of us, we've wondered where God's affection is. Life seems hard. It's constant. The turmoil around seems unending. You may be in a season of life where It just seems like things keep getting thrown at you. And you wonder, is God so loving? Where is his affection? If God loves me, why do I have to keep enduring? For others, it it may be that you look at your life and there's, Sin that's been present in your life. And you wonder, how could God ever love me because of the depth of my sin? Maybe you once experienced the fire of Christ burning inside of you, and today it seems cold and dim. And it feels as if you have to earn the Father's love back. And so this morning, as we look together, what we're going to be dealing with is the Father's affection through Jesus. That Jesus' affection displayed on the cross towards his mother and towards the Apostle John. And for us this morning, that question of, do we see the affection of Jesus at work? Do we see that Jesus loves us? 
And if he does love us, how is that love expressed? So we're going to look at the entire context here initially to these verses in John 19, 26 through 27. And we'll look at the context. We'll start in verse 17. And so let's go ahead and stand as we read this together this morning. We'll be looking at John 19, verses 17 through 27. And this is what it says. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote in the inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. For the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray. Father, your affection is great. Father, we praise you for these words that remind us that even on the cross, your affection never waned. This morning, may it be your word that comes forth in power. May it be your spirit who moves in our hearts. And may we have eyes to see this morning and ears to hear. Hearts open to the love that you so freely grant us. May your grace overwhelm us today. And may we rejoice in your affection through your church. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. At the heart of the message this morning is the idea that the care and call of Christ's family the church, is to be His affection displayed. The care and call of Christ's family, the church, is to be His affection displayed. The care and the call of the church 
is Christ's affection. Do we see the church in this way? Do we actually see that the church was granted to the believer? Meaning, it is the believer, and then the fellowship of believers coming together is actually a display of God's affection for us. Now think about this for a moment. Picture that these soldiers have surrounded the cross. They're dividing up the garments. Mary is standing by seeing this, and we're told that she's with her sister, Salome, most likely, who is the mother of James and John. We know that Mary, the wife of Clopas, is also there, and Mary Magdalene is there. These four women have made their way to the cross to see Jesus, to see Jesus persecuted. And Jesus begins with this word, Behold! Behold! Woman, behold your son. And he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. Now we hear of this at another season of time. This same behold is used at the moment that Jesus is actually identified as the Lamb of God, if you recall. John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. To behold is to gaze or to perceive or really scripturally to know. To know. Or to know. What he's saying here in this moment is Mary, know your son. And John, know your mother. And what we will see is that in order to do that, we have to behold in the one, the Messiah, the true Lamb of God, and that is Jesus. Well, Mary's had the great privilege of being the Messiah's mother. We don't spend a lot of time talking about Mary. We've seen things about Mary get conflated and confused and, and even idolized. We've seen that Mary is has been elevated up to a, a, a deity, a divine herself. And yet, in all of it, Jesus refers to her as woman. And there's reason here for a moment. One, He refers to Mary early in his ministry in Cana at the wedding. He refers to her as dear woman. This was not a sign of disrespect. Quite the contrary. It was a sign of honor. But there's something more here too that I think is at work. And it is the fact that Jesus is pointing out her own humanity. That there is nothing divine about her. It would be easy to worship her as the mother of Jesus. But Jesus himself keeps her humanity in focus. 
Now, Mary was one that we don't spend much time talking about. But Mary is one who was no stranger to sorrow. She was no stranger to turmoil. She was no stranger to pain. In, in fact, when Simeon blesses Jesus following his birth as he's brought to the temple in Jerusalem, we're told this in Luke 2, verse 22 through 25. And it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And then in verses 34 through 35, we're told this. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Think about that for a moment. She, she's just had this baby who's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Messiah. She's rejoicing over this child. And Simeon says that it will pierce through your own soul also. No sooner that she had left the temple do we see a picture of what is to come, do we not? We see that in those moments from early on, she and Joseph had to protect Jesus from the sword of Herod. They had to leave their country and go to Israel, excuse me, Egypt, from Israel. And then when they return, they don't even get to return to their hometown because they fear Herod's son. Mary is no stranger to pain. But after enduring all this, here the prophecy of Simeon is fulfilled. Mary's agonizing soul, she anguishes and agonizes as she watches her son suffer as the callous soldiers divide the clothes at the foot of the cross. And she can do nothing. But her soul is pierced. Think about how defensive you get when your own children are mistreated. Her child was not simply being mistreated. He was being killed. And in the process of being killed, he was being mocked. 
and her soul was agonizing. If we're left there, this looks like a God who lacks love, who lacks affection, who stares at the distance of his mother watching the death and shows a callousness that the shoulders show as well. But that's not where the story ends. There's another person standing by that cross, and that person is a bit different than Mary. Unlike Mary, who's been with Jesus for 33 years, this one's been with Jesus maybe three years. Like Mary, John too is anguishing. But John's anguishing for a different reason. You see, there was John's willful betrayal of the Lord. He had willfully left and separated himself from the Lord. We can imagine that he grieves for Jesus' crucifixion and carries the weight of the one who betrayed his friend, the beloved one betraying his friend, his Messiah, in the greatest time of distress. What a picture, isn't it? John, running away from Jesus in the hour of his need. It is interesting, isn't it? It's interesting the difference between Peter and John. Boy, Peter gets beaten up, but at least he went. John's gone. This is the one that at the, the, the fellowship table at the Last Supper is called the beloved one. I thought you loved me, John. And yet he runs. He runs far away. You see, just the day before, Jesus foretold of the disciples' denial of him. In response, Matthew 26, 33-35 tells us that Peter answered Jesus when he said that he would deny him. And Jesus is what Peter says. Peter says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never all fall away. Or excuse me, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And listen to the words of Peter. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now that's usually where we, we end the passage. But there's a one final sentence. And all the disciples said the same. All the disciples said the same. They all said, we won't leave you, Lord. We will never deny you. We will stand with you. And John runs. A few hours after making that proclamation that they would all do the same, in Matthew 26, 47, Christ's words are confirmed when it says, then all the disciples left him and fled. You see, sin has a way in our lives of making us feel like we're unredeemable. 
It has a way of making us feel that we have to earn back God's love because that's what happens often in human relationship. But God's got a different economy. And his affection pours out towards those that come back to the foot of the cross. And John returns to the foot of the cross. Isn't it interesting that God's word is fulfilled in both cases? Isn't it amazing that in God's word being fulfilled that we can agonize and despair? We often think of God's word being fulfilled as this thing that brings us great joy. And it can bring joy but it can also bring great anguish. The word of God was fulfilled here and it brought anguish to Mary. The word of God was fulfilled here and it brought anguish to John. But here's our Savior. You see, Jesus' affection becomes clear. Jesus' affection is actually demonstrated through a new family relationship, his church. Jesus' affection is demonstrated through a new family relationship, his church. Immediately here, what we see is a picture where John is adopted into the family. He's now a brother of Jesus, and he is now a son of Mary. Nothing of John's doing, only of Christ's. It's what Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. What an awesome thing that we are sons, we are adopted into his family. Now, how does that adoption work? Well, we're told in Galatians 3, 24, it says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We are a part of his family through faith. Christ adopting us into his family through faith. John has returned to the cross. Brian Bill points out that the fellowship of family is forged under the cross. You and I have the privilege of becoming members of his family, his brothers and sisters, if you will, when we determine to do what he asks of us. Just as John adopted Mary as his mother, so too we must be adopted into the family of God. Mary was not in the family of God just because she carried and cared for Jesus. She was adopted into God's family when she put her faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins and salvation. This is part of the piercing of Mary's soul. The anguish to come that she begins to see and recognize him as the Messiah. Luke 8 
verses 19 through 21 says that his mother and his brothers, this is speaking of Jesus, came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's making a new relationship, a spiritual relationship. He's actually driving home this point that there is greater significance to the spiritual family than there is even to our own biological family. Why? Because the spiritual family is eternal. It's eternal. It's rooted and founded in Christ. What an awesome thing, isn't it? That the simplest way that God shows his affection is through this adoption. This adoption into his family this family, which is now known as his church. Have you ever thought about that? That the church is God's affection displayed? People want to know where Christ is. Well, why didn't Christ show up? Why didn't Christ love me? When you experience the love or brother or sister in Christ Jesus, you are experiencing the love of Christ. He gave us believers around one another to be the display of that love. And when we forsake the assembly and the gathering of believers, we're missing that. And, and what he's not talking about here is there may be things going on medically where I can't be present, can't be in person. But when we can be in person, we should be in person. The body of Christ is the affection of Christ displayed. Now notice the first thing here with Jesus. There's two specific aspects that we see in this passage about the church. The first is Christ's care, and the second is Christ's call. And so in Christ's care, the first thing that we notice about his care in the body of the Christ is to be honoring. It's to be honoring. Now notice, he looks at Mary, he sees his mother, and he's been called out of Exodus 20.12 to honor your father and mother, as we all have been, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He does not look out upon his mother and go, I am in pain, I am suffering, forget her. Instead, quite the contrary. He discharges his duties as both a physical son and as a spiritual brother. You see, in 1 Timothy 5, 3-10, it says, Honor widows who are truly widows. At this point, we know that Mary was a widow. Joseph had already passed away. Jesus was her eldest son. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse 
than an unbeliever. This verse, this last part of it, I think has been abused significantly. What it's talking about here is care. It's talking about care for the most vulnerable. And Jesus had a responsibility as a son and as a spiritual brother to make sure that his mother was cared for. That care is found in the body of Christ. The kind of care that we display as the family of God should be similar to the kind of care that we display in our own familial and immediate families. It is where we come around those who are sick and hurting. It is where we honor each person. It is where our care is not one of pity. You see, in Romans 12.10, it adds, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The body of Christ is to be a place where honor is seen where people are treated as people in need of Jesus, each in desperation for the same Savior and the grace that he affords us. In that moment, Jesus does not look at his mother as a burden, but he looks upon her with honor. It is the way that God has called us to interact with one another. To see one another not as a burden, but in honor. To walk with one another in honor. And to obey Christ in honor. The second thing about this care that we see is when Jesus points directly at John. It's restorative. First, his care in the body of Christ is honorable or honoring. Secondly, it is restorative. The body of Christ is to be a place of restoration. See, grace is found at the foot of the cross, and Christ restores him spiritually and purposefully. Robert Nash puts it simply, John's world was imploding before him, yet Jesus' word extend comfort. That's what we're to be as the body of Christ. When people come to Redemption Hill, what they should find is a place that looks forward to restore those who are at the foot of Christ. Christ does not restore those who are not humbled. We need to understand that. We can get way too too gentle. But when a person comes to the foot of the Christ, gentleness is what is needed. Grace is what is to be extended. And mercy is to be displayed. The church is to be the place of second chances. The church is to be the place where there is hope and not eternal despair. 
It is when we humble ourselves before the Lord that God exalts us, as James 4 says. Acts 3, 19 through 21 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Restoration begins with repentance. Turning back from your sin and turning towards the cross, towards Jesus. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our care for one another is to be restorative. And we should find restoration in the body of Christ. Let me tell you, the enemy is wonderful at deceiving us in this. The enemy makes us think that we're beyond the aspect and reach of being restored. The the enemy makes us think that nobody wants to be restored with us who will walk and carry the burdens alongside of us. And the enemy has deceived the church many times for making people believe that they truly are a burden. For the person that is broken at the foot of the cross, the church has made mistakes. It has been too severe. But know that as a body in Jesus, this is the place to come. And when I say the church, I'm not talking specifically about Redemption Hill. I'm talking about corporately. We're pretty good at burying our dying. When in fact, what we need to do as they turn towards Christ, lift them from the grave. That's the beauty of what Jesus is doing to John. John must be dying in anguish, and yet he is being lifted up by his Savior. And we too need to lift up one another. Wow. These words of affection Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 13, 9 through 11. It says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is a God of restoration that we serve. Jesus is a God of restoration. And the church is to be that place. That place that shows God's affection through the restoring of broken people. Don't wait to pursue Christ until you think you got it together. Turn towards him now. Come to him. 
and then walk with brothers and sisters in Jesus. Let them come alongside of you. There is no sin, no sin, that is beyond the grace of God. And the only thing that prevents us from coming to the grace of God is our own pride. Well, we've seen Jesus' care. His affection displayed through His care. Now let's look at His call. Jesus' call here in this moment is not one that is focused on Himself, but it is other-focused. Jesus' call for His church is other-focused. In John 13, 34-35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. One of the reasons that the care is so important in the body of Christ is because it displays something that's so radically countercultural. It displays care that cannot be found in the world. The world is trying to rob all kinds of things from God. I don't know if you guys watched current music, uh, magicians lately. You guys are, anybody watch magic every now and then? Have you? Sounds kind of funny. Have you heard the language being used, by the way? So, you know, it used to be ta-da, or, you know, they'd throw open the, the pull off the, the black, you know, carpet or whatever, or, or tablecloth, and it would come up, and, and they would do this huge thing, you know, and it was there, and magic was there. Now the language is, look a miracle. Look a miracle. The world is seeking to rob God. We have phrases today, and we've talked about this before, things like, my truth. No such thing as your truth. Your opinion, your feelings, but truth is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The culture is consistently seeking to change the language, to rob God of His glory. Don't believe that this is just some passive thing that's happening. We have an active enemy who is shrewd. And it's why Christians are called to be shrewd. Innocent as doves, but shrewd. Meaning we need to be aware to these things. But one of the great defenses to these things is the church. The call of the church. Because nobody can argue with the love that people have for one another that looks so countercultural to the world. When we have unity, but we may have differing politics, when we have unity, but we may have different beliefs about finances, when we have unity and we're just different people, it's different with the world. Jesus' focus here is outward. Boy, if there was ever a time for Jesus to be self-focused, it was now. On the cross, in pain. In the midst of his own agony, in the midst of his own discomfort, in the midst of his own turmoil, he looks out at his mother. And his concern is not himself, but is the care of his mom. 
the body of Christ, we are to be concerned with others. We are to be concerned with one another. We're told in Mark 10, 42 through 45, it says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As the body of Christ, our call is to be a servant. And a servant means, by definition, that we are not seeking to serve ourselves, but we are seeking to serve one another, or another, I should say. And that another is Jesus. And in serving Jesus, we serve others. The call for his church is to be other-focused. Secondly, the call for his church is to be continuing his work. Continuing his work. Now when Jesus looked at John and told him, Behold your mother. Jesus understood that it was his responsibility to care for his mother. Jesus was the firstborn son, the oldest of his brothers. And we know at this point that his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. In Acts, we see that there is a change that some of his brothers do respond, do believe in faith. But at this point, there is no indication that his brothers believe. He turns to John with prudence, with care, and he entrusts his mother to John's care. This being Jesus' responsibility. The call of the church is to continue the work that Jesus begun. And the beauty of it is, it's the work that Jesus is continuing in because it is through Christ that his spirit lives within us and is actually one doing work. In John 17, 14 through 19, Jesus prayed to the Father. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Jesus has sent us forward in his purpose, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We have been sent out with his purpose to go among the nations, making disciples, baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching others, discipling others to obey his commands. John 21, verse 19 through 23 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is following his resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. 
When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The church has been sent to fulfill the mission that Christ has given. Mary, wondering where the affection of Jesus might be, is clear. She's cared for in the family of God. John, wondering if he is ever going to be useful. The affection of God showing itself in this renewed call upon his life. The same is true for each of us. And my question for us this morning is simply this. Do we embrace the care and the call that God has given through His church? The affection that Christ has displayed in and through His church? And do we do as John and Mary have done? The departing words here are simply this. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. When we see the call for care, when we see the call that God has given in fulfilling His work, do we see that as a God who loves us and is demonstrating His affection? Do we see how in His church we experience His love and His purpose? That His body, His family, is to represent and display the affection that he has for you and for me. That's the beauty of these simple words. A reminder that the spiritual family is more significant. It is eternal. And that in that family, we find the care. We should find the care that God has promised. And in that, we should find the call that he has granted us. It's interesting to note that on the day of the resurrection, John and Peter run to the tomb. John gets there first, we're told. Kind of interesting how he highlights his own skillful ability to outrun Peter. John does not need any answers for what has happened. He merely glances into the tomb and sees that it's empty. Peter, on the other hand, we're told, goes into the tomb and finds the cloth laid out, the linen. What's more amazing is the fact that we're then told that they run back to their homes. Can you imagine a mother desiring to know that her son truly has risen and is the Messiah. John runs home. Do we see the affection and the goodness of God? Do we see that in those relationships, in the relationships that we have here in the body of Christ, that the very affection of Christ is to be displayed? May that be what people see us. May that be what people see as they 
experience and enter into relationship with us. May it be so for Redemption Hill that we are a church that display the affection of God through his care and his call. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these simple words of woman, behold your son and behold your mother. God, it all begins with beholding the Lamb of God. May we know you, Jesus. And as we know you, may we willingly enter into what we know to be true, just as John did. Not with questions, not with debates, but with obedience. Trusting that your affection is for us. May that no longer be questioned. And may it be experienced in the new family that you've given us. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, your church. And we ask this in your name. Amen.